The Devil Pulls the Strings by J.W. Zarek Narrated by Kurt Bonham Chapter 35 Two Times the Charm Sapphire and I walked down Green Street. I count six police cars and four TV news vans outside the Steinhardt building. Sapphire stops, grabs my arm. Do you think this is about the Milders? Or something new? Her fingertips dig into the side of my wrist. I hope Professor Wicambi's okay. Wicambi better be okay. Rizzo says he has a lead on where to get that special vellum we need. I walk closer, and there's a female police officer about five feet to the left of the building's entrance. She's surrounded by TV crews with cameras pointed at her and reporters with microphones. The bright glare from TV camera lights land on the officer's face. I'm not close enough to hear everything, but I catch some of what she says. We don't believe the three missing co-eds are connected to the recent murders, and our investigation continues. Heat creeps up the back of my neck. I tap Sapphire's shoulder. You said Stone told you about construction workers, students, and a teacher that died in a bizarre accident in the 1920s? This seems a weird coincidence. It does seem strange. She tugs at my shirt to keep moving. We enter the building, and a twinge fires in my gut. The memory of getting shot at on the 10th floor, and my brief sword fight on the lower levels refreshes in my head. Blaine looks up from his seat at the security desk. May I help? Do you have an appointment? Bo turns to Blaine, then they both look at Sapphire. Welcome back, Miss Andrew. Blaine's voice cracks, and he adjusts his hat, jacket, and tie. Professor Wickamby told us to send you right down. Bo taps his clipboard. I nudge Sapphire to the elevators. Thank you, gentlemen. I give them a two-finger salute. Bye, Miss Andrew, Blaine says. Have a good day, Miss Andrew, Bo waves. I press the button. The elevator doors open. We step in. I press B4, and the elevator doors close. Someone's got a set of bookend boyfriends. I bump my arm into Sapphire. I bet they'd take private violin lessons if you offered. What's that on the elevator wall? Sapphire points to a spot, her face mired in mild fear. I glance up. Thwack! Sapphire backhand slaps my stomach. That's your private violin lesson. She flashes a wicked grin. Want another one? I grab my midsection. No thanks. I prefer guitar and bass. The elevator doors open. We get off and walk to Wicambi's office. I reach for the doorknob and pause. Ready? I glance at Sapphire. Mm-hmm. She blows out a long breath. I knock. Enter, says Wicambi's muffled voice. I open the door and Wicambi stands in front of a group of three college-aged men and four college-aged women sitting in chairs in a half-circle in front of him. Behind Wicambi, a chalkboard full of musical piece names and dates. 
He makes brief eye contact, then shifts his gaze to two empty chairs against the back wall. Sapphire and I sit. Wicambi continues his lecture. Remember, be ready the next time we meet to present your three pieces flawlessly, and perhaps some of you should pass. Wicambi's quizzical glance at me asks if I have something for him. I nod. If there are no more questions, class is dismissed. And remember Thursday is door die day. His words and glare remind me how much I don't miss high school. The students gather their books, thank the professor, and leave. Wicambi takes a seat behind his desk. I was getting concerned about your whereabouts, Mr. Daniels. Were you successful, or have you returned empty-handed? From my backpack, I pull out a blue folder containing Le Strege. Have a little faith. I open the folder and flash him the music. His stare glimmers, screams, gimme, gimme, gimme. Wherever did you find Le Strege? His voice matches the scrutiny of his stare. Boone found it between his bag and guitar case in his room at the embassy. Sapphire's mouth creases into a smile. Wakambi stands and walks toward me. Each step pounds the floor. Go on. I caught Lestrege outside Stone's house the day he died, the day Sapphire barreled into me. You slammed into me, Sapphire snaps back. I ignore Sapphire's comment. When Cynthia's men came after us, I thought I lost the music during our escape. The sight of stone on the pavement splayed out plays in my head on repeat. A tinge of adrenaline spikes. A swallow gets stuck at the back of my throat. Finish what you are going to tell me, McCamby says. I rein in the adrenaline and stiffen my spine at the curt note in his voice. In a rush to get away, the sheet music must have gotten stuck between my bag and guitar case, and later I found it in my room. I try to be sincere as sin because it's the truth, however unbelievable it sounds. You are full of surprises. Let's see the music. His voice is absent of emotion. I hand Wicambi Le Strege. He snatches the folder, opens it, examines, scrutinizes, covets Lestrege. His face seems to fixate on every measure, every note, every line on the sheet music. His eyes shine, hungry and bright, scanning from top to bottom. Oh yes, this will do. This is an unexpected stellar triumph. He caresses the parchment like it's Christmas morning and Santa remembered to bring him his long-lost present. Professor, are you all right? That's just sheet music. Sapphire stands and takes a step toward Wicambi. Ms. Anju, Mr. Daniels, you don't know how long I've been searching for this music. Lestrege. He breathes in, and his exhalation carries relief. After all this time to hold it in my hands again. The bottom of his eyes moisten. He touches his fist to his mouth, unable to tear his stare away from Lestrege. Professor, you've seen this sheet music before, right? Sapphire steps back and sits beside me again. I remember you said in your first lecture, you said 
how you held the strider in your hands when you were in Italy, and how the experience was magical. Oh, yes, this music has traveled the world, seen many hands, including mine many years ago. His face exudes happiness, written in Paganini's own handwriting. It's authentic. He pushes air out through his open mouth, and his body relaxes. I have something else for you. I hold up the vial of ink, and the vial's hue turns a bright bluish green. Wakambi's face fills with exuberant enthusiasm. Is that blue rose ink? Yes, sir. He sucks in a quick breath. Where did you find the blue rose ink? Boone has an incredible story to share. Sapphire wraps her arm around mine. And so I begin. I encountered Sinti's men after the cockatrice opened multiple portals. I led them away from Sapphire and fell into a portal. I rubbed the back of my head. When I awoke, I thought I was still in Central Park and wandered into the woods and then found a cabin. I stand and pace. I thought it was odd, a sweet old lady living in the middle of Central Park. But then she introduced herself as Baba Yaga and asked me to find her cat. So I found her cat, and she gave me the vial as my reward. Did she try to hurt you? His voice carries a mixture of curious confusion. No, she was somewhat kind. How did you get back here? His gaze locks on the vial. After I rescued the cat, I asked Baba Yaga how I could get back to Belvedere Castle, and she told me to go back the way I came, and here I am. I hand Wakambi the blue rose ink. Then I found Sapphire. Sapphire nods. Boone came to me, and then we came to you. Coming to you was the best thing to do, right? I ask. Yes. His voice is filled with restraint and he swirls the ink. What's the plan now, sir? I ask. I am afraid my research has uncovered rather horrific information. I'm not sure I should involve you any further, he says. I'm already involved. Bacambi picks up music sheets from his desk and stacks them together. These are the three pieces of Paganini's music. Twenty-four caprices on top, cantabile in the middle, and Lestregi on the bottom. He holds them up to the light. These three sheets form Paganini's Eden composition, called Diabolus in Musica Sonata. To see the music requires using the ink you found with special, albeit macabre, uterine vellum. I've heard the vellum is macabre, Sapphire says. He cleans and repositions his glasses. My research revealed a diabolical cult uses it in their rituals, evil acts, and deeds. Wakambi's voice breaks, and his face goes ghost-white. Yes, the vellum is macabre, because it's made from the skin of stillborns. What kind of a cult or organization does that? I ask. The dragons and nymph society, and I shall spare you the worst of the details. But I'm afraid this isn't the most dreadful news turning my stomach. Wakambi's face erupts in mild disgust. 
An unusually large number of people who investigated this cult died under mysterious conditions, including Professor Stone. He pulls out a handkerchief from his jacket and wipes his eyes. When I dug deeper, I uncovered a history of murder, suicide, and sacrifice surrounding the Dragons on Nymphs Society, and rampant rumors that members of Dragons on Nymphs drink human blood in their rituals. A shiver pricks my skin. A chill trickles down my spine. Like vampires? Dragons and nymph members drink blood? Are you sure? Sapphire makes the sign of the cross. I just received notification. I'm being considered for membership. Ms. Anju, I would reconsider your considering membership. The cult has a long history with some members believing themselves to be modern-day vampires. But there's more, he says. What do you mean there's more? What you're saying sounds like the making of a bad horror film, I say. The deeper I delved, the more I uncovered. There has been an alarming number of extraordinary young, talented college and university students who have all gone missing or met a grisly fate over the past decades. How many students? Sapphire asks. The numbers could easily be in the hundreds to thousands and closer to tens of thousands. And no one takes notice. I can't believe that, I say. This cult has far-reaching connections in every social hierarchy, and I fear I may have placed Miss Anjou in the gravest danger. This group seeks out individuals with skills and talents, and the greater the person's potential, the more they are coveted. So you're saying Sapphire is a target? And maybe the other Paganini competition participants too? I attempt to loosen Sapphire's grip on my arm, but she's latched on tight. Yes, but I have no proof. So everything I say is pure speculation. However, if I'm correct, then Ms. Anju is at the greatest risk. What do you plan to do to keep Sapphire safe? I ask. Many wait a lifetime to hear Paganini's secret sonata. But losing Ms. Anjo would be a tragedy. The cost is too great. So, her performance shall be cancelled. His voice is shaky. But if what you're saying is true, then it doesn't matter if Sapphire plays or not, I say. She already won your competition, and this alone makes her a target to your cult. It is not my cult, Wakambi fires back, his voice tinged with vexation. He tilts his head forward, shuts his eyes, touches his hand to his chest. My apologies. Miss Anjou, you are my best student. And to think I may have unwittingly placed you in danger. This is more than my conscience can bear. This does explain why those men keep showing up, I say. Perhaps they work for Sinti or the Dragons and Nymphs. Wakambi opens a worn leather-bound book, moves his finger across the page, and stops halfway down. The group's official name is called the Unholy Ancient Order of Dragons or Nymph Society. His expression absent of emotion. That doesn't sound ominous at all, Sapphire says. Ms. Anjou. You're not safe anywhere you go. This cult has acted with impunity for the longest time, 
and people are turning up dead, and I haven't the foggiest notion of how to keep you safe. Sapphire taps her foot. I'm able to take care of myself. Stop treating me like I can't. What about the police, I say. We should tell them what we know. I'm afraid we are on our own. There are members of this cult on the police force, fire department, hospitals, even the mayor's office. We don't know who is with or not with this group, McCamby says. So what are you saying? We do nothing? I ask. No, but I'm hesitant to ask you to do what must be done next. What exactly has to be done? Sapphire says. It would seem that one of us will have to go to the Dragons on Nymph's headquarters to obtain the vellum we require. His stare locks on me, and that tells me I'm going. After another half hour of talking and negotiating, it's decided that Sapphire needs to stay and practice the music, and the decision is unanimous. McCamby makes a phone call to the Dragons and Nymphs and offers a trade for the macabre vellum using a rare collection of books and music he owns. I'm to meet a Mr. Alabaster Graves at the Dragons and Nymphs Society at 1 West 96th Street and Central Park West to make the trade. And Wickamby offers me a dull, useless sword as my only weapon. But I take it. Outside the Steinhardt building, I stop and consider... What could go wrong walking into a society of wannabe blood-drinking cult members? But I've got to make things right. Right for Flynn, right for Sapphire, right for Rizos, for Stone, for Wicambi. Heck, even Baba Yaga and her cat Lapushka. But I'm not going to walk into any place full of possible vampires without more preparation. I bet Rizos knows more than he's told me and might have something more substantial than Wicambi's sword. I take a detour and head straight back to the Lavender and Roses Society to find Rizzos. Coming up next in The Devil Pulls the Strings by J.W. Zarek. Chapter 36 Duma's Flaming Sword <laughs> 